Hello, all you listeners out there, and welcome back to the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast. Thanks for being with us again. I am Gary Cohen. Joining me as always, uh, the yin to my yang, my partner in crime. Tyler Wall. The potato to the potato, the tomato to the tomato, the land to the sea, the... We may be overselling this. We may be. The connection, the deep spiritual connection that Tyler Wall and I have in creating this podcast may be overselling it. I don't know. I also (laughs) was trying to think as I was saying this, we plan all of this. It's all very scripted. Um, I said hello to the listeners. I was like, in the back of my head, I went, if if we actually have listeners, we should have a name for the listeners. They would be the Pulsians, the pulsating listeners i don't know what it was something <laughs> that may pulsters, that may have a different connotation yeah. to it we need a maybe we can uh we can think about that one a little bit <laughs> and uh yes tyler's deflecting anyway great podcast today as always today we've got carlos buñano of uh armis with us today Armis has released some research recently identifying the riskiest devices that pose threats to critical infrastructure industries like manufacturing, utilities, transportation. So we talked a lot about that in the conversation, uh, went pretty deep into, uh, into you know, why critical infrastructure is at risk uh, and, and what are the riskiest devices in OTICS environments. Yeah, it's a crazy world out there, but what's even more fun, though, again, as these questions um so my question for you starting off today before we hop into the all the great things around ot and ics devices across critical infrastructure um when you were in college what was your favorite class uh i have degrees undergraduate degrees in advertising and psychology advertising i don't think i ever really cared about i had an illustrious nine-month career in advertising uh before i decided that's not what i wanted to do uh psychology i actually liked the classes a lot i never had any intention of doing anything with psychology but i kind of had a padded schedule i had a lot of room um so by my senior year i think i needed only three hours or something like that to graduate so I took a lot of classes that I felt like taking. And when I had the little counseling session you have before you graduate, the guidance counselor said, you know, you're only one class away from a degree in psychology. And I went, I've got time to take one class. So my psych classes were some of my favorite. I also took a lot of acting classes. Those were probably the ones that uh, that appealed to me the most. But again, I just liked the psychology classes, but I I knew that I didn't want to go into psychology as a profession. So mm-hmm. thanks, mom and dad, for paying for that degree. <laughs> that extra that extra class there pushed you right over the edge. So how about you? Oh uh, well, I only have one. I only have one single undergrad degree, uh, and that is in English. So I think my I mean, I could, it's easy for me to identify the classes I didn't like, um, but I think that's the case. We had like an understanding linguistics class, which is all phonics related, which was a pain. But that one just hurt. That that one was difficult. I think my my favorite class was probably was probably one of my I, I before I was English just English. I was English education. Um, I think one of my favorite classes actually was probably my English education courses. Um, I liked the 
field experience time, actually, which is you think, oh, that would tell you, you want to be a teacher. No. Um, but I thought that going to the schools and sitting in the back, seeing how teachers do it and how the class responds was was fairly interesting. So it was probably one of my one of my education courses classes that ended up being useless. So if there's one thing that we've determined today, it's that we both wasted our undergraduate education. <laughs> the thing that we liked the best, we were like, I'm not going to do it, but I thought it was a fun class. <laughs> that's what I'm, that's what I'm gathering. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I remember I called my parents when I was switching back to English from English ed. Um, I was like, Hey mom, just so you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be pulling the education course out of my, or education part of my degree out of my, uh, out of my English stuff. And she was like, Oh, are you going to be able to like find a job? And I was like, yeah, that don't don't worry, mom. Everybody else has the same case, mom. All right. I mean, math majors need to find a job. Uh, even if the job security is a little better, everybody has to find a job still. There are a lot of philosophy insurance. majors out there. They are most of them. Oh, are there them. are. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of them. So yeah, uh, um, yeah, yeah. So let's so let's cycle back to cybersecurity here. It's uh, one thing that's going on out in the world right now, out in the wild, out in the world. Uh, I say this because it has recently impacted the lovely state that I live in of Illinois. Is this move it, move it, excuse me, cyber attack, ransomware attack um, that seems to be spreading and spreading and spreading. But it recently came out that uh, it did hit Illinois. The, the details about it are few. The state hasn't really provided any detail about it, except that it happened at the end of May. Um and that hackers took files that were housed by a, quote, third-party company. So I'm very interested to see where this one goes as more information comes out and uh, who else it got other than the lovely state that I live in. And the lovely state that Tyler usually lives in but is not currently residing in. Yes, yeah. When I, I live there, I'd say, oh, if we're counting the months, what is that, 10 out of 12, that's like 80% of the year, something like that, a little more than that, 85 so yeah, uh, that was. I mean, there's not. Yeah, like you said, there's not a lot of information. It looks like it's a lot of um, identity theft. I mean, so in terms of your control systems, fear not. But maybe wait and stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, fear <laughs> not. We yet. think. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably okay. Pure um, speculation. Yeah. But the, the, the guest that we talked about today, uh, Carlos Buenano, had, so he, as I said at the beginning, was talking about some new ARMIS research that came out of the most vulnerable uh, ICS and OT systems. Uh, really fascinating conversation we had with him because, man, if you work in OT and ICS, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm kind of guessing you do. Um, the ones that are the most vulnerable or are pretty unavoidable. Uh you know, as this research came out, the one that is, um, you know, the, the things that are most vulnerable are, you know, PLCs, SCADA servers, engineering workstations, automation, automation servers, historians, all of the things we talk about all the time. These are the things that are also the most vulnerable, which is kind of a scary, uh, a, a scary proposition. It is. And I'll get uh, like, like with a lot of these conversations, it all boils down to the same exact thing with just OT legacy systems just being out of date. Uh, one of the statistics uh, that he threw out, or I guess not that he threw out, uh, Armist threw out in their study was that 
percent of engineering workstations have at least one unpatched critical severity uh, CVE. Uh, 56%, uh, in case you were wondering, is over half. So that can be a slightly concerning. <laughs> and that's, I mean, the same thing, programmable, programmable logic controllers. There we go. Uh, another example, 41%. Uh, if you're keeping track at home, that is less than 50%. Have at least one unpatched CVE on them. So, I mean, and that's, the research goes on, but it's, it's all of these industrial systems are fairly vulnerable barcode readers uh industrial managed switches ip cameras printers and and you know we talk a little bit in the interview with carlos about the proliferation of the xiot the extended internet of things which now you've got all of these network devices uh he mentioned a few hvac systems cameras televisions things like that that are now vulnerable to attack and generally are not being patched and that's uh and and that we spent a lot of the discussion, and you'll hear it as we go through it, a lot of discussion talking about why these are not being patched and what you can do to patch them. Exactly. And the important part is that that vulnerability management, that what you can do about it to help protect yourself from those threats, those threat actors, those nation state actors, those cyber criminals. Yeah. And it's and it's a lot of the stuff that we talk about all the time on here, which is especially in OT ICS. Legacy systems, these older systems that are barely supported, unsupported, unpatched, older, people still think they're air-gapped. It's not, uh, the, a lot of the OT engineers don't really think it's their concern, cybersecurity. It's all of these things. We, we talked about you know running outdated Windows operating systems, talked about uh, SMB version 1 you know, everybody knows that it has been exploited. Everybody knows that it has been part of major hacks and yet it's still being used pretty regularly. So dangerous world out there in the OTICS space. Yes, it is indeed. <laughs> With that, why don't we bring in Carlos Buenano? Carlos has a degree in electronic engineering and a master's degree in telecommunications with more than 30 years of progressive experience in the control systems and telecommunications field. His history includes positions such as principal systems engineer, senior ICS, cybersecurity consultant, solutions architect, and technical account manager, and principal solutions arch architect all around the world. He's been actively involved in several brown and greenfield industrial control systems projects in manufacturing, mining, and oil and gas from the concept definition to the commissioning stages of the projects. He spent the last five years of his career operationalizing cybersecurity solutions, focusing on industrial networks. Um, without further ado, let's go ahead and bring in Carlos. Hi, Carlos. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be here with you. We, we are excited to talk to you. So we tend to start all of these in the same place. We want to know a little bit about the folks we're talking to, so uh, and we want our audience to. So, Carlos, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and how you got to the position you're in in cybersecurity. Right. Um, yeah, well, my name is Carlos, uh, Carlos Benano. I'm, I'm a, a principal solutions architect uh, working for Armes. My specialization is OT. Um, YOT, um, I'm a control systems engineer. I work in the control system engineering um, field for more than 20 years. Um, essentially, I work in 
any industry you can think of when it comes to industrial control systems. I worked in manufacturing, uh, oil and gas, mining, uh, and in energy se sector. So I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, be part of a lot of projects uh, when it comes to, you know, cybersecurity or securing um, our control systems. And, you know, I got an opportunity in Ames, and I've been actually working for Ames for the four, last four years. And um, during those four years, uh, my focus has been, you know, securing uh, industrial control systems. So uh, let's talk about that. You, Armis, recently released some research, new research on the riskiest devices in critical infrastructure industries, uh, manufacturing, utilities, transportation. Can you tell us a little bit, what was the impetus for that study? So basically, we're trying to understand the, the attack surface when it comes to um, uh, industrial control systems, you know, what, um, you know, what, what, what is the, 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 the what are the vulnerabilities that, uh, and the risks that we have, uh, you know, for devices and depending on the business impacts uh, that these devices have uh, on, on any industrial control system networks. Um, you know, we, industrial control systems is, is very, very, very broad, right? So as I mentioned before, there's different industries and, and, and different capabilities. But, but in general, they have the same the same functionality, the same ideas. And imagine um, that these devices allow you to do two few things. The first thing is um, you know visualization of the of the production plant, the the line, the production lines. What the you know what the essentially the plant is doing towards producing a specific products and the the automation sort of things. Um, you know and you know the impact of these devices when when they stop working or they are attacked or there is a ransomware, um, especially in SCADA systems where you lose complete visibility of what is happening uh, on the production line, especially uh, on the con uh, on the controllers and the PLCs. You know these PLCs are the brain of the operations, right? So they receive input from the sensors. They have a logic and then write outputs to the actuators, you know, belts, uh, valves and drives and anything else that is actually put out there to automate the process. Uh, we have we have had a lot of examples in the past um, with campaigns, um, exploit campaigns like Staxnet, where it was a very smart process of, of modifying this logic within the controllers and then masquerade the information up to the SCADA server um, so that operators were confident that everything was fine because they didn't have the feedback from the, from the production line. And then what happened, um, the PLC was actually providing, you know, battling with other stuff that while well, the, the, the plant was almost on fire. So, um, and why are these devices important? Because these are the devices that provide you with that visibility. These are the devices that, you know, allow you to change the, the, the um, you know, the, the, the behavior of the, of the production plan. And, and, and that's basically the danger, right? That it, it can actually cause a lot of uh, financial issues, but also uh, it could even, uh, you know, harm people if, if we're not, not careful. 
Which is really the scarier, the scarier uh, aspect of all of this. But before we jump Correct. too far into the study, just so our audience understands, can you tell us a little bit about the methodology of the study, how you, how you came to this information? So, um, well, Armis is a platform where uh, what we do is that we analyze the traffic across all the devices within, within the environment. Essentially, uh, what we want to do is that we will identify the devices we want to uh, understand what the devices are doing, what they're connecting to. Um, you know, we collect essentially enough information and evidence to profile the device to then um, understand, you know, what the device is. And then we have the asset, asset intelligence engine that allows us to, uh, you know, to compare against all the devices that we they monitor. At the moment, we monitor 3 billion devices. And we can then do risk assessments of the device, but more importantly, the vulnerability matching uh, of the, or, or the, for those devices. What that means is that we can then measure the security posture of each individual device and, and then provide reports of basically the vulnerabilities that these devices have. And the result is basically the report that you, you receive uh, where it tell us essentially out of all the devices within an OT environment, you know, what the ones are, are riskier uh, and, and, and at what level. So getting into critical infrastructure a bit more here, you know, the, the big question I would say of the year, the decade is really um, like, why do you think critical infrastructure is such just a popular target and what makes it uniquely vulnerable? Uh, it is historical, right? So when when you basically design a plant and and and, and do the installations and the, the 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 commissioning of a plant in a normal situation, the life span of this plant is is a long time, right? It's a big investment, as you can imagine. Uh, there is a lot of money involved. There is a lot of effort, not only on the control system but in the infrastructure itself. Right, so it's a lot of pipes. There is a lot of um, uh, silos, uh, equipment, but then you have the electronic side of things, right? So uh, you can imagine that you know this investment has to last for a long time. You know, talk about ten years maybe as a minimum. Some other ones are actually thirty years. Um, they, 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 you can you can imagine that. Because the, the, this design is actually so old, then it, it brings a lot of uh, you know end of life, end of support, a lot of vulnerabilities because the, the you know systems were defined or designed uh, and implemented without the security aspect in place. Now the next phase or the next things that we need to take into consideration is the IT and OT convergence. Okay, the more the more these plans are. Uh, you know, producing, um, there is, uh, there is an increase of demand and with the increase of demand, there is also increase of effort to get more out of the plan, more of the production. And one way of doing this is essentially opening uh, OT networks to systems that allows us to do reporting and scheduling, you know, increasing in, in increasing the, the, the productivity as such of every single component of the plant. Inevitably, this, this 
uh, requires the, these systems to be connected to uh, a subsystem to that is located into the IT network. So there is a link then is created from the OT environment into the IT environment, and the IT environment is actually a more open system. None of these networks were designed to have network segmentation at the time. Everything is flat. And then because then once you get to one system, say the historian or this kind of server, then you have access into the rest of the network. And that's the reason that there is currently more interest in reaching the OT networks because again, they haven't been designed with security in, in mind. Um, and they have a lot of vulnerabilities because they are all systems. And basically it's because of that, then it's, it's a lot simpler to be a target. So I know we're talking about uh, ITOT convergence a bit here. Um, so there's it's clear that there's a lot of benefits associated with um, the two teams converging. However, I mean, a lot of them are still divided right now, right? So how is that divide between IT and OT teams impacting the security of critical infrastructure and critical industries? So um, the, 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 I guess that the, beast, the, big, the biggest topic when, when it comes to convergence is, is understanding why uh, what the, the, the aim of IT is and what the aim of OT is or IT, or IT network and OT network. What that means that IT basically uh, they strive to make the users more productive, more efficient. They actually try to add uh, securely, of course, more um, applications. Uh, uh, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, products that introduce into the network, you know, and, and, and there's no problem for them to introduce uh, these new products to, to improve productivity. Now, in the OT environment, it's completely the opposite. OT networks were defined or designed to basically uh, do a task, is communicate from A to B and make sure that, you know, the, the, the bandwidth is always the same, make sure that the quality of service is always there, so the, the less applications they are running on the network, the better. So it's all about resilience. It's all about maintaining the, the, the OT network running. So you can already see the clash. One is trying to give you more and the other one is actually take, take more from it. So when uh, an IT uh, network manager comes into an OT network, you know, the, the, first, the first impulse is like, I wanna make this network more efficient. Uh, I want to make it more 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 um, secure. I want to start installing applications in in the, the the OT devices that I might potentially cause um, uh, sluggish responses. Uh, but on the other side of things is uh, OT networks are driven by vendors. What what that means is um, you know the the security side of things needs to be very very closely related to what the vendor is compatible or has been qualified. Uh, so you have different vendors with different softwares, um, and these softwares are designed with a specific environment, a specific operating system. Uh, and if you update the operating system, uh, it might not work anymore. Or if you install a specific EDR, uh, you know. Uh, uh, scanning a specific 
pull that within the specific uh, location of, or, or where, where the software is located, it might cause the application to stop working. And, and that type of a scenario, and that's a clash that exists between OT and OT. So uh, uh, IT, unfortunately, they don't have enough know-how to implement and maintain these systems. And then OT are always protecting uh, these systems, you know, to be, you know, uh, to be more resilient. And that's the clash. Sorry, it's a long, it's a long, it's a long answer, but I think it's uh, you have to. <laughs> Uh, I, I think you you're you're talking to a good audience here because we totally agree with you. It's something. It's a topic we talk about all the time. I think it's a really important one. So, not a problem at all. Um, I, I, let's get into it here. So, according to your study, which OT and ICS devices present the highest risk right now, and why? Bar readers, I think there was one. UPSs was the other one. Um, there is also engineering with stations. Um, and if you count, if you look at the, the bar readers, uh, this is actually devices that are in the field, uh, out in the open, uh, most likely connected wirelessly. Um, and um, this, this actually has sensors and they're connecting directly to the production. Uh, the other ones are actually UPSs. Uh, and the UPSs, you know, to me is, is a very important, um, um, maybe you're aware of this, but you know, few months, uh, you know, in last year, uh, we discovered a, a vulnerability called TLS Storm, uh, where an attacker can take control of an UPS. Now, if, if you think about what an UPS is, an UPS, essentially what it does is, is, is provide uh, power, it's an uninterrupted power supply uh, for equipment within the OT network. So they are vital, um, like a vital component uh, for OT networks to 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 continue to to maintain the resilience, uh, and if as an attacker have access to these to these devices, can uh, shut down the whole plant, right? So uh, it, it seems drastic. You know, there's a lot of these UPSs across the different switch rooms, um, uh, but the, the, there is a possibility for them to, to take control. Uh, and, and then shut down a plant, right? If, uh, or maybe a, a, a business critical function within the plant and interrupt production, right? Um, engineering stations is, is another one that is actually very, very important. Um, now, why? And this, when we found that these this devices are connected to the internet, uh, which again, it expose a, a big attack surface, um, you know, for an OT network. And, when you look at the importance of any generalization, the generalization, they have the tools to change the configuration for PLCs, for controllers. They have the tools to calibrate instruments in the field. So essentially, um, you know, one of the biggest um, items when it comes to, to, to the campaigns that we have seen in the past is attackers taking control of the generalizations change the way the programs are, are, are configured within the PLCs and then change how this, um, uh, these control devices work and then introduce masquerading, as, as I mentioned earlier, where the operators, you know, they think that everything is working fine, but at the end of the day, the plan is actually not. Uh, and this type of a scenario. So that's why 
you know, one of the most important discoveries is that engineered stations um, being, uh, you know, vulnerable to, to compromise. Uh, and the, the other one, the very important one, uh, is HMIs and uh, SCADAs. Whilst not necessarily you can configure PLCs using these, these devices, uh, SCADAs and HMIs are, uh, you know, the vision or the they provide the visibility to the production. So imagine that someone takes control of your steering wheel when you're, you're driving and you can't control it. So that type of scenario. So that, that's why these devices are so critical to, 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 to understand, um, you know, the tax surface. And it's not like these are things that your common engineer can avoid. Engineering workstations, PLCs, SCADA systems, barcode readers. I mean, these are everyday operations on a plant floor. Correct. Uh, and unfortunately, it's not as easy as, as we might think. Uh, to, going back to OT devices being driven by the requirements from a uh, from a vendor point of view, uh, making sure that you know the the the, the, uh, uh, the for instance operator operator stations, uh, sorry, engineer stations and SCADA servers uh, are running the right software, the qualified software. So it needs to be you know, the vulnerabilities need to be driven by the vendors' capabilities of how they have studied, you know, the, the, the effects of the in, in, in installing a specific patch. Um, so, but one thing is, is it is very, do, very well doable and is, um, you know, network segmentation, you know, ensuring, and if you can actually, if you go through all the different um, uh, standards out there, uh, specifically, IEC 62443, they, they recommend very well to segment the networks, uh, you know, create zones and conduits, you know, whitelisting communications, uh, making sure, modern attack for ICS, for instance, um, they, you know, ask you to make sure that none of your devices or T devices in the level two, one or two, are in any way connected to, 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 to any other devices other than the ones that they need to be connected to. So they are the methods that they can use, um, you know, to ensure that these devices are better protected. How much does the extended internet of things, these devices that many people don't even consider to be a security risk, extend that threat surface right now? Uh, in, a, in an OT environment, uh, it's, it's a lot, right? So there's... Um, you know, from cameras to access control uh, to lightning, um, uh, air conditioning, HVACs, um, as I mentioned before, UPSs, um, even this, the the bar, the, 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 the you know the, the scan readers. Um, there is a huge amount. Uh, in some cases, we have seen Raspberry Pis because they have been defined or designed by a specific vendor to. It's as simple as, you know, protect a key code, uh, you know, for the cabinet that contains the key to go into the switch rooms, right? That type of scenarios, right? It's, it's, it's a lot in there that you don't, you don't realize uh, that it's in, in a T environment. So later in the study, uh, Armis talks a lot about uh, how a lot of the devices still use the SB SMB version one protocol. Um, so 
Uh, why are so many devices still using this despite the known vulnerabilities and recommendations against using it? And what can be done to encourage the use for more secure protocols? Yeah, it, it goes back to that conversation that I have about you know qualifying operating systems and qualifying patches uh, you know, for a specific um, applications within the control, the control network. Um, they, there's a ton of Windows XP machines still running in these networks. Uh, as you might imagine, SMB version one is the only one that, you know, Windows XP is, is you know, end of life operating system. So uh, SMB version one is the only, the only uh, protocol for Samba or, or file sharing that is, is, is found in this, in this uh, operating system. Uh, it's not patchable, we can, we can update it. So, and, and then it comes down to, okay, let's just do something about the Windows XP and then upgrade it to the latest Windows, Windows 11 perhaps. Um, but it, got, it has to go back to the vendor and the vendor needs to qualify, needs to test the, the applications when it comes to HMI, SCADAs, operator station, engineer stations, historians. There's a lot of devices out there that they need you know, to be qualified with the vendor and they need them to upgrade the operating system. And they cannot do that until you know, they, the vendor qualifies them and say yes. Um, uh, and you know, when it comes to new operating systems, that, that's okay. And we actually see that they, they do. And in other cases, uh, you can't just go and install a, a, a patch or an operating system, uh, even though you can, um, because again, you need to understand the consequences of the what it takes to update uh, a, or install a patch. In most cases, it will require a, a, a shutdown or a restart of the machine. And when you're in the middle of production, you might not be able to do that because you know, of course, you're going to stop production. You're gonna, you don't know if the if the machine is going to come back again the way it was, and then you can't really risk to shut down the machine after installing a patch uh, because you're in the middle of production. So in a way, then you have to wait for a maintenance window. Uh, in some cases, depending on the industry, these maintenance windows can be you know once every 12 months for a couple of weeks and sometimes you don't have enough um, time to do this update because you you do need the SCADA server to do some testing of new functionality that you have to install during that maintenance window so you can't really afford to do it that way so you can you can then start see to see that there is a uh, you know a complexity around and, and it has to be coordinated very well before you can uh, install uh, the patches that you, you require to, to fix some of it, just like SMB version one. Yeah, it seems like one of the real fears is that downtime, especially for some of these smaller mom and pop shops, right? I mean, because that downtime is that lost revenue, which could easily right. put them out of business. So it's understandable to hear that fear and all of that. But at the same time, too, running on these legacy devices and legacy uh, systems, uh, I mean, you're it's like kind of like a double edged sword a bit. I mean, so yeah, you could easily run into some security problems with that as well. Um, uh, the, 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 
electronically speaking in the technology side of things you know the the the, the probability of a system failing uh during production is a lot lesser than the when you make a change right so mm -hmm. if the system is working it will continue working until something happens uh and that's probably why we're having the conversation today right because then the problem is that uh, now we have a different factor it's not just uh, that the system is failing is now someone an attacker comes in and compromises and make the, the system to fail uh, but there is a mentality within the control system uh, environments where you know they believe that the network is, is air-gapped um, and, and nothing else is actually coming in and, and it, hence this report the report is you know it, it's just to to help our you know our community OT, OT, you know OT community to understand that you know you you might think that you you're escaping from that reality uh, but you don't know because you're not really looking into into your network to understand you know the vulnerabilities that you have so uh, another figure in your research uh it was that 56 percent of engineering workstations have at least one unpatched critical severe uh cve so what so, what are some strategies that can be developed for more effective vulnerability management across a vast network of managed and unmanaged devices so um the first of all is the visibility part right so understanding um you know what you're running uh, what applications you're running, because it's not just the operating systems. It can actually be a specific application that you, you're running, um, you know, an old Java version or something like that. So then understanding all the, the different components, software components within the engineering station, and, uh, and then understanding then the vulnerabilities associated to all of them. Okay, and once you, 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 you have that visibility, then you you have to do the management of the vulnerabilities. Um, you know you need to then start looking at each vulnerabilities and understanding uh, the threat data of the vulnerabilities, and understanding how many times the specific vulnerabilities have been exploited, if the vulnerabilities have been actually used for ransomware, um, botnets, or anything uh, that can help you understand how critical it is. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, instead of focusing on the, you know, hundreds of vulnerabilities that you might have within the organization, then focusing on the vulnerabilities that are very critical. Okay, that's actually the, the way that we, we deal with this type of scenario. Got it. Now, you, you mentioned some of this stuff earlier, but obviously industrial operations are not going to quit using SCADA systems and engineering workstations and PLCs. Yeah. So what can organizations and security teams do to help remediate some of these issues and, and improve security? That's a, that's a very, um, it's a, it's a very tough question because, um, it's not black and white. It's a journey. Okay. And the cybersecurity journey, uh, starts, um, you know, we call it the operational resilience, um, um, and it starts from then with the visibility of what is in the IoT network and start then continues on with the risk assessment, the vulnerability assessment, and then uh, actions, you know, you have to do a risk assessment across um, all the findings and then um, understand all the risk, understand the likelihood 
and then start creating controls around what to do with you know with the findings. Um, the, the journey is, um, you know, you can actually help yourself, you know, through the journey by perhaps choosing a standard, um, you know, whether it is, you know, IC6243 or then um, choosing a framework like Modern Attack for ICS. There is a lot uh, of different standards, different frameworks that you can take as a reference um, and, and you know, there's a lot of overlap between them, but the idea is just to have a guide of you know, what to do um, to, in order to, 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 to start then uh, continue or moving forward this uh, cybersecurity journey. Um, and they help you, it, it's, uh, it, it, they help you to, to understand, okay, well, the, you know, to have mat the maturity level number one, you have you know, the visibility, you need to understand the risk, and then just take it to the next maturity level. And then, um, you know, once you understand uh, what your your risks are and your vulnerabilities are, then the next step is, okay, let's just think about, you know, um, network segmentation and how you implement network segmentation, um, how there, is, there are techniques in there that you can follow. Um, then you continue on the zero trust, it's a journey that seems overwhelming at first, but I think once you start taking step by step, uh, starting from the network visibility, you'll see that you start becoming more and more mature, and then that, that the, 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 the next um, you know steps is gonna it's gonna be you know decided according to the journey, right? So it's, it, it is a very difficult journey, but I think if you if you kick few goals to, from the start by you know segmenting the OT network in a way that yes we understand that there's some some functionalities that I need to go to the IT network understand them understand um, who they are what the communications are creating then whitelisting um, you know, policies and, and then you know moving to the, the, the next of the, the or still going through all the other um, 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 nodes within the network economy. I think that's fantastic advice. Uh, just, I think one more question here for you and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. But I like people on the spot for this last question. If there's one piece of advice or one thing you wish more people knew about industrial cybersecurity, whether it's from this report or something else, what is that thing? What do you wish more people knew out there? Um, it is a tough question, um, but um, the, 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 and maybe I get in trouble for this because um, the, the things are not like you think they are in, in an OT network. Um, you might think that um, this might not happen to me because my network is secure. And after you investigate, um, you know, how secure your network is by creating that visibility uh, that I'm talking about, you realize that this, the, the network or your network is not as secure as, as you think it was. So, you know, my advice always is, you know, um, that just take the worst case scenario to start with and, and you know, assume that you are affected as opposed to the other the other way um, and then 
once you assume that and then you start you know thinking about the methodology that you whatever methodology you want to um you want to apply to your to your network to your towards your security journey so it's, it's almost like you know assuming or recognizing that you might have a problem and investigate it the next one is um is this a journey that is to take a step by step by step okay you can't really resolve all the issues in one go. it can become very overwhelming and when you you know what i observed is that um when people feel overwhelmed they put in the hard basket and leave it and don't do anything with it so break things into pieces do the things that you can do and then move on slowly and you'll see that out of the overwhelming amount of results that you have seen if you break it into pieces and keep you know win quick 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 objectives you'll see that things are going to look more promising as you go through move into the journey all right uh carlos thanks for hopping on talking with us and uh, sharing your knowledge with the people thank you so much for having me it's, uh, it was fun absolutely it was a pleasure thanks so much There you have it, folks. Another great interview. This time, Carlos Buenano of Armis talking about uh, OTICS systems that are uh, insecure and are uh, are bringing risks into your environment. I, I always like to ask that question at the end of the interview. What's something that you wish more people knew? Because we talk, as we did in that interview, so much about, for instance, the IT-OT divide. They don't speak the same language. It's marriage counseling. They don't talk to each other. So I think there are plenty of cybersecurity practitioners out there that know all of this stuff, but there are people on the OT side who are now beginning to be tasked with securing these systems that maybe don't speak this language, that don't know all of this stuff. So I like to ask, what is something you wish more people knew? The same thing holds true for talking, as we talk about all the time, making the business case, talking to C-suite, talking to the board. So um, his answer to that, is it's it's not something we've never heard, but I think it is such good advice, which is assume you have been breached. Assume your systems are at risk. Assume people are trying to get into them and work from there. We had a podcast not too long ago. We talked to somebody else who said that same thing. He was talking about um, he was doing some consulting with a company and the company boasted about how they have, a, they're scanning for 500 different things on this network. And they went in and said, 500, huh? Sounds like a lot. You should be looking at 5,000. That's not enough. And so they went into the systems and found out that they had been breached months prior. You know, 500 wasn't enough. So assume that people are going after your systems. It's probably, it's a scary baseline to set but it's going to put you in the right posture to try to try to defend against these things and be able to remediate them quickly when they do happen. Yeah. And even kind of building off of that too, is just, I mean, the idea of just staying humble about it, right? You're not going to, what are you going to gain from going around saying, Oh yeah, you know, I, I don't have anything. I have no, no vulnerabilities or any sort of attack surface that can be uh, breached. Like you're not going to gain anything from that. Nothing good will come of that. So going into a scenario where you're looking at getting your systems patched or um, implementing a new uh, firewall or uh, 
having some consulting company come out to help you build up your security systems, uh, just make sure you're keeping an open mind and um, understanding that they're going to just be, they're there to be on your team to uh, help you build up your systems to prevent you from getting any sort of breaches. I think this research uh, that Carlos was talking about that Armist did is really valuable too, because it's, you need to know where your vulnerabilities lie. And these are in systems that everybody is using, as we said before, SCADA, PLC, historians. Um, you know, OT industries have typically have multiple locations, multiple lines of production, complex distribution lines, uh, lots of managed and unmanaged devices on their network. So understanding where that risk comes from, uh, and where remediation is needed, it's it's a challenge. It's an obstacle for people. So and and it's a big entry point for malicious actors. So knowing these things again puts you in a posture to be able to defend yourself. Exactly. And you know what else will help you put put you in a posture to defend yourself? What is Going that, Tyler? To, what is that thing? I'd love to know. It would be visiting industrialcybersecuritypulse.com or icspulse.com where you'll I've heard find- of it. Tell me more. Yes, there is so much great content on there, ranging from articles written by uh, yours truly and the cross from me. Yes, exactly. Um, as well as people much smarter than us, uh, where you can learn about defending uh, critical infrastructure, defending your systems, and as well as uh, different ooh, stories that you can just see that you can read to take away the learning uh, learning objective sounds weird, a weird way of putting it, but uh, where you can just learn from them so you don't make the same mistakes. Of course, we also have this podcast, which goes up every other Tuesday, where you can tune in and listen to us uh, yammer and then listen to the subject matter experts share their gracious and wonderful opinions. I'm also going to make a little plug on that site. You will also find we have a, a number of ebooks on different. Uh, topics, protecting critical infrastructure, supply chain attacks, defending your organization from ransomware, ITOT convergence, a lot of good information in there. We recently did a webcast um, with Gabriel Sanchez from 1898 and Co. and uh, Mike Hoffman, who uh, is with Dragos and also SANS, both of them actually affiliated with SANS, uh, on defending OT systems from ransomware that was really good. So you can find that on the site too. Lots of great information up there. And if you want to reach us at all, I will not give you my phone number, but I will give you my work email. Uh, and if you email is... me, I'll give you his phone number. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. He'll he'll give it to you. Uh, my email is twall at cfemedia.com. And you can find me at gcohen, G-C-O-H-E-N at cfemedia.com. All right. We'll catch you guys in the flippity flop the next one. Thanks for listening. 